in the debate between capitalism and distributism, who is going to win out? That's the discussion today. I will be talking to Michael Thomas, and you'll be listening, I guess, to Michael Thomas. I've already talked to Michael uh, about distributism and about how it's a third option between the two extremes of capitalism and socialism. I guess not extremes, but at least what we think of as the two polar opposites of capitalism and socialism without, with basically just gradations of those two systems. Michael offers distributism as a different out, uh, potential system that I think was really interesting. I've not heard it explained well, and I gave him his props for this because I have rarely heard distributism explained in a way that doesn't sound like socialism. And he made a great way, he made a great point of distinguishing it and showing, I think, how it, as, as more of a distributist policy, more distributist policy could curb some of the excesses that we have in our society on capitalism. And I think it was a great discussion and we had a lot in common, but we had some areas too where I don't think we saw quite eye to eye and that's fine because I think it was good where we could push and pull a little bit and have a little bit of tension and it was good and it was healthy and it was a great conversation all throughout. And when we disagreed, it wasn't on as much on major things, but there were some definitely points of contention there that I think were worked out and were able to understand each other more instead of combating with, you know, going to hand to hand combat with each other. And I think it was a really great discussion because of all of that. And so definitely you can also check out Michael and what he's doing. He's on Twitter. It's at MichaelTG09 and find him there. There will also be links to his website for his homestead and everything there in the show notes. So definitely check that out as well and to support him. And then if you're enjoying these kinds of conversations, subscribe wherever you're listening to podcasts, leave a good rating and review, help it out with the charts. You know, those types of things really help with, uh, with getting it out there more and helping the podcast feeds and everything like that say, oh, this is a good podcast that I should show to more people. So leaving a good rating review really helps. Subscribe on YouTube so you can watch these whenever they come out. You get the, excuse me, make sure you get the, hit the notification bell as well so that you can catch that. <clears throat> and the last thing is, if you go to conversationofourgeneration.com slash subscribe, you can, for just $5 a month, you can get access to extra premium content like my courses. You get my cop, a copy of my book sent to you, access to the Discord community, and future premium content as well. All of that stuff will be sent out to people who are subscribed for just $5 a month. It supports the work I do and really helps out with being able to fund more of what I'm working on. So definitely do that. And with that, let's hop on over to the interview. Well, and today I am joined here on the conversation of our generation by Michael Thomas of the Brickhouse Farm and Orchard. Hey, Michael, thanks for coming on the conversation of our generation. Hey, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, how's, uh, how's, well, I guess before we ask how everything's going at the homestead, I should probably have you uh, introduce yourself and a little bit about what you do. To give people a background for those who don't know you. Okay, um, so I'm a husband, a Catholic, uh, father of uh, four lovely children. Um, I live in upstate New York on a 
1799 built homestead. It's been kind of a mixed colonial farm for the entirety of its history. Had a brief phase as a commercial cattle farm. Um, I, for the past eight years, have followed a trajectory of homesteading uh, with a focus on kind of human scale agriculture. Um, I, I, I don't like the word self-sufficiency anymore that much because nobody's really self-sufficient, right? This is one um, you know, miraculous communion that we're all part of. And so I don't, I don't like this idea of self-sufficiency as a word. So I steer away from that, but I think most people would see it as self-sufficiency. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty much the, you know, the course of what I do in that process. Um, I'm rediscovering the faith of my ancestors and Catholicism, um, and, uh, and learning a lot about about landscape and our relationship to it and then and then traditions and traditionally how landscape has been managed and then from there uh thinking that's come before us about all kinds of things from household economics to how to tend soil um and so yeah so that's who i am and that's what i do <laughs> i like that i like that i think that that's a good point on the self-sufficiency i like self-reliance because then it's not like it's just me doing it, but I know that when it comes to, you know, the things that need to happen, I can rely on myself for that sort of thing. I like, I don't know, there, it's a little bit of both. I, I think they're both, uh, they don't get the whole picture of the human aspect, but I do think for everyone out there listening who uh, is interested in the homesteading stuff, I think they, they know what you mean by that. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because Oh, it's almost one of the things that when folks approach me and they start talking to me about homesteading, one of the things that always comes up is I'm like, the, one of the most powerful lessons I've learned in my eight years of doing it is that we need one another. <laughs> that it's not possible to, to, to break away from modernity by yourself completely. It's, you look at all the cases where folks do that, the, the, <laughs> sometimes ends very difficultly for those people, you know, or in difficult ways or, or, or it's just not, we were, we're meant to be together. We're, mm -hmm. we're meant to be in communion and community with one another. Mm -hmm. um, and so this whole idea that self, you know, so I, I just, I, so that's why I steer away from it. You know, because one of the most powerful lessons I've learned is that we need one another to make this happen. Um, mm -hmm. so. I, I think that's the one thing that's pulled me away from some of my libertarian leanings in many ways. I still have very big, you know, mistrust of government and large, you know, organizations, but I do find that the sort of atomized view of people that we have today just doesn't work. And you do have to view us as our, as an individual, but also in relation with other people. And you have to look at both of those things and balance them. You can't just have one or the other. And we try to, it seems like we, you know, the whole argument is basically radical individualism of like Ayn Rand versus the collectivism of you know, Mao, Stalin, Mussolini, uh, Hitler, so it like that seems to be the kind of question that we have right now. Well, at least in America, right? Conservatism is right, and in, in other places is grounded in collectivism. You know, so yeah. it's, it's 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 really it's 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 interesting. As Americans, we have a, a particular uh, binary juxtaposition, but mm -hmm. the rest of the world, in many cases, is experiencing quite a different juxtaposition between collectivism and the individual. So mm -hmm. it's it's in, it's interest. It's that 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 thing. I I think my, my 
I don't want to get too philosophical too quickly, but the idea that, you know, try and try and define the limits of self and the closer you hone down on them, the more gray they get. And so, um, so, you know, really, uh, we are all part of a miraculous communion. Um, and, and that extends into the soil, it extends into people, one another, it extends into history, and it, and it, and it, it extends forward, you know, and so just the boundaries of self, I think, conceptually aren't what many of us think they are until we start really looking at it, you know, who am I and what am I? And so I don't want to deviate us to a deep philosophical thing. But again, it's, it's, it, uh, right, I'm, I'm very not much a libertarian at all. <laughs> yeah. Yep. yeah, well, and so one of the main things that you, when you wanted, when you reached out and you wanted to talk to me, the, one of the top things that you mentioned was the idea of distributism and comparing and contrasting that with capitalism. And I think one thing that helps whenever you're going to talk about isms in today's world is to kind of define them before. So you know what you're talking about when you use those terms. So what would be, I guess, your definition for distributism and capitalism as a system, as we, you know, for the purpose of this discussion, not necessarily what needs to go in the dictionary, but yeah, yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. I think it's a, it's a good place to start. And I want to just say thank you for having me on and, um, and honing in on that question, because it's something particularly right now I'm, I'm passionate about, about talking about, because we do see such this, especially as Americans, this struggle and, uh, you know, between this binary politic, uh, the, the emergence of kind of like a global socialism and the, the intense American, um, you know, uh, individualistic, uh, you know, thing. And, and we see these rubbing up against one another. And there's, it's just like foreign to think that there's a third way, you know, it's either, it's either, you know, uh, not even just a third way to think of our politics, but even a third way to conceive of property. Um, and, and that's what distributism offers. Um, and so uh, a lot of people on the libertarian side of things sometimes ground libertarianism and this idea of property rights and that that gets intrinsically tied to capitalism. And so I, I would want to, you know, one of the things I'd want to point out is that capitalism isn't inherently about uh, property rights, but capitalism, um, I'd like to talk about capitalism and socialism and distributism about frameworks that, that are both economic and social and political, but they're really, the way that I would, I think, best understand each one of those is to look at them and understand them as contexts for where goodness arises from within the social order. And so with capitalism, there's this idea that the more that we can free capital to move around, well, then the more goodness is created. And from that, that's a general context that kind of sits on our society in a political way, in an economic way. And we make all these investments, both in infrastructure and the way we do things uh, that, that are supported by this idea that, that I think we're not often introspective about, that that's actually the evaluation. So capitalism for me is an evaluation of where good society comes from. And good society comes from, from freeing capital insofar that capital can move as quickly as it can all around. And therefore, you get the industrial processes, you get highways, you get large markets, right? You get unregulated markets so capital can move freely, right? And that's really, for me, what capitalism is, is, is this idea that the more free and the more quickly we can move capital around, the better we can make things. Innovation is spurred mm -hmm. and, and the better we make the world. Um, 
socialism um, or, or really socialism right as a political thing socialism is is, is the means of a republic uh, turning itself into a communistic state but uh, the, the defining thing for communism uh, for me would be because that's the end point right so is socialism is like a, not a permanent position it's it's the abolishment of private property into the state and so and so that that idea is that the that private property is is abolished and the capital doesn't move but capital is managed collectively so we don't free capital we limit it and manage it to the to the collective needs of the social body right mm -hmm. so and that's where you get that binary right mm -hmm. and then and so um and so th th this is created however millions of people this terrible um idea has killed over the course of mm -hmm. modern history um and how many failed attempts of it that you know we we can kind of list them off you know all the all the it wasn't real communism <laughs> you know the, all these attempts of, at this um uh the, the word will never pass my mouth without me uh, uh really condemning it so that's something you should know about yeah. me where, where i sit so in any event um so so that's so that's communism right so it's not capital moving but it's defining society by the uh limits that uh that is that are state defined and those mm -hmm. uh that's where goodness comes from if we can mm -hmm. define within the state what our rights are what our needs are what what uh where production should should sit that you know uh, the not only property but the means of production are are seized into the state and 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 that's where goodness comes from we can make sure that everyone is cared for mm -hmm. if everything is ordered through the state and then and then and then that's it and so in you know in america and many political systems that's that's kind of that's the only binary yeah but for the, almost the majority of, no, I don't want to say the majority, but for a large part of human history, there was a there, there was a, 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 a kind of a latent third understanding, um, which was that private property held by the most hands creates goodness in society. But saying that uh, that the most people owning the most amount of property and having the most means of production distributed across the widest amount of people is where a, the goodness in society can come from, mm -hmm. from people's unrestricted access to what I would call first things. And I take that from Father uh, Vincent McNabb um, is, is the originator of that. But, but, but uh, the idea that, that uh, the most people having the most access to, to property and owning the most property distributed widely gives people access to the first things, water, food, shelter, fuel, clothing, the mm -hmm. first things, the very basic needs. And if we distribute property and the means of production to the most amount of people, then naturally people will provide themselves with those, with those first things. We don't need the mediator of the state and we don't need an abstract system like free flowing capital to the, the miraculous invisible hand, you know, that actually people will take care of themselves and take care of their neighbors if property is distributed the widest amount as it could possibly be. And so that is a context for an, another understanding of how a good society manifests. And that third way, that third option is distributism. That is what you know, I'm roughly defining distrib distributism. Um, mm -hmm. So not the abolishment of property, not the usurpation of property by capital, 
but but spreading out property as much as possible. Mm -hmm. You know, in, in capitalism, property comes second to the needs of capital um, insofar as that a strong market or, or, or a condensing capitalist power can just seize and, and monopolize property. And hey, if that works to keep capital flowing as best as possible, well, hey, that works. That's the way, that's the way it works. Mm -hmm. and, so, and so we see that. And so, um, so again, distributism is not capital flowing as fast as it can, and it's not the seizure of capital or property by the state or the abolishment of private property. It's distributing as much private property to as many people as possible. And when people hear this, I think often people say, Oh, that that just makes sense, you know. Yeah. yeah, that does. That is that is what I want. I just didn't know there was a word for it. Um, mm -hmm. So and, and so, um, I don't know if I fully agree with your definition on capitalism. I do think that that's how it's been embodied. You know, especially over the last hundred years or so, it has been, well, probably hundred fifty years. But I would say that early America would be an example of a capitalist system where it wasn't as highly centralized. And where you kind of did have a distributed, because we had an ever-growing frontier probably is part of why it was allowed, is that you could always just go out and claim property, basically, if you wanted to. And so there was that opportunity. And then as we settled in and we finally sort of had, we didn't have any more, you know, there, we finally hit the Pacific Ocean um, and then still found Hawaii and Alaska, I guess, too. But we you know, basically took over this entire part of the continent, there wasn't that sort of westward frontier to take the ideas of capitalism further. And we did end up building up instead of out more. Okay. And, and, and I think that too, I, I was recently reading a book on after the Civil War and really a huge part of what Lincoln did in the, and then the Republicans after that was centralizing the power because the South was really a very distributed agrarian sort of system. Whereas the North had spent the reason why this wasn't really slavery that sparked the war was the fact that the North was tariffing all these goods that they produced in their factories, but the South had to buy from England for cheaper and another European countries. And they were basically taxing the South to build a bunch of roads and canals in the North. And they were get they felt like they were getting reamed and they said, well, this isn't fair. We're not getting any of the benefits. We don't actually benefit from this taxation system and we want to get out. Um, and so I guess what I'm what I'm wondering is, is if having this distributed model, I don't see how you you either get there by basically the state saying you're going, this is how we're going to run things. It seems like, or on the other hand, people freely choosing that, which to me is a free market. I'm, I don't like the term capitalism because I feel like it's tainted, but I do like the idea of free markets and people being able to choose because they know what's best for their lives more so than anyone central authority that's trying to hand it down to each person. There, there's just not enough ability for someone to know all of those different decisions that need to be made uh, I think, I, I guess I'm curious how you get to that area, that point where you have a distributed system without right, so, either of the other two systems in operating. Of, so, like, so that, yeah, that's, that's why I honed in on the idea of uh, best contextualizing these things and how I do in my mind. 
um, as uh, the assumption that we carry about where goodness comes from, uh, yes. essentially, right? Um, uh, and so I don't think either of us at this point would argue, you know, I, we don't know each other too well, but I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go off the cuff here. Probably you're not like a libertarian individualist anarchist that thinks that like, you know, that's nobody should infringe on anybody's rights, you know, and, you know like there's a, there's a degree of taxes and common good that we both suffer um, or rise to. I would rather look at it like that. And so how do we orient those things? Right now we orient those things with the latent belief that we're moved by, by moving as much resources or goods around and, and freeing capital from the limitations of space uh, and well, you know, geo limitations by limitations of regulations, by limitations of whatever, but by, by freeing capital as much as possible, we create innovation, capital condenses in the areas that need to serve people and, and, and then it flows. Mm -hmm. And so by that, we don't necessarily question like, why do I have a highway outside of my house? It's almost like it's a, it's a it's it's a it's a pre-ordered thought that's already happened. Of course, we have a highway because we have to get from point A to point B faster because we have to move things faster because by moving things faster, we create more goodness and goods for all people. And so, distributism would say, in, instead of moving goods around, moving uh, raw materials around, moving capital around that's not that's not going to get us a good society mm -hmm. it, it's going to go back to very very basic questions and say how a, a distributist uh investment would be making sure that every single person had the farm tools and the arable land to farm for themselves and that that was the priority rather than a highway system mm -hmm. because first things first not that we move things around and hope that a market mediates our access to divine grace in the landscape, or not that we hope a state does it through communism, you know, but 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 rather that we give people access to first things. Mm -hmm. and, and that by doing that, by, by uh, ordering our society in a way uh, where people have access to first things, we create goodness. And that way, it's not uh, the, the thing with communism, right? And why, why it manifests into such evil is that there has to be this triumph, a uh, political triumph to abolish property, right? Um, and capitalism always comes to the conflict that naturally capital condenses, capital concentrates mm -hmm. naturally. It doesn't spread out, it, it concentrates. And then there has to be disruptors that unconcentrate that. Where do they come from? Do they come from markets? Do they come from governments, right? So capitalism is always kind of juggling <laughs> uh, uh, with this idea and so with distributism what we're saying um, as, as a distributist is that on a policy level i'm not trying to move towards the abolishment of or centralization of of uh, capital in a state i'm not trying to free it i'm trying to make policy choices that give people access to the means of production and property and it actually we have examples of those types of policies right here in America. And you were just kind of going back into the history of America and saying, you know, there were periods where we were, you know, more um, where capitalism was working. And I would argue that Jeffersonian ideals are actually distributist in their, na in their nature. And I think it's what you were driving to that, that those Jeffersonian agrarian idea ideals were, 
we were able to live them both in the agrarian uh, traditionalist society of the South and that we were able to live them in the frontier. We were able to get access to property and so things worked. And so my, my kind of counterpoint to that would be, well, that's because it was distributist because, because yeah. it, the first things were available to people and therefore goodness goodness came, came about and arose. And so, uh, but even past that, we have home economics programs in public schools so instead of investing in teaching people skills to apply to a market, we at one point in American history, we said, why don't we teach people how to manage their households? Well? Yeah. Um, and so investing in home economics, you know, that, uh, yeah. that's a distributist thing. That's distributist thinking. That's not capitalist thinking. That's that's teaching someone how to sew and, and fend for themselves so they can make their own clothes. That's a distributist, that would fall into distributist policy thinking. And so my push to say, let's think about where goodness comes from, is that we can make slow steps to a more distributist style society right now. Um, I like that. No, and I and I definitely am someone who is very much of the Jeffersonian, like when it comes to the founding fathers, Jefferson, Madison, and those, that's where I would probably fall with much more. I do have a very uh, libertarian leaning on this side of taxes. I definitely think that, well, we, that's a different discussion for another day, <laughs> but um, I do think that taking money from people, especially on income, you know, I think that there's an argument that you could, that could be had for a sales tax or some sort of consumerist tax. Like if you're going out into society, but when it comes to income taxes, I think that that's just basically slavery in a way, at least for the first you know, I started earning my own money in April when I, when they stopped taking a third of it, uh, basically is how I see it. But when it comes to capital, so you mentioned that capital has a tendency to centralize. And I think that's true in an economy over the last 150 years. But I think in the capitalist system, in the way that I would look at it is, it is generally people's freely chose, like the way I would look at free markets really more than capitalism. I think capitalism, the way we think of it now arises from free markets because it is individuals choosing to what is best for themselves and what they think is the best for themselves at least. And the amalgamation of that creates this market that then capitalism is sort of a way of, dis of talking about this mechanism for all these little social and economic interactions that we have and all these free choices that people are making and bringing those together and saying, okay, this is a market. We can study what the masses are doing and how it's moving. And we can apply, basically, we can apply our resources in the right way to get the outcomes that we need. And I would say that capitalism has provided for a lot of those first things for more people than any, I mean, in the last 200 years, we've brought more people out of poverty out of absolute poverty, fewer, fewer and fewer people starving, despite the fact that we have more and more people on the world, uh, you know, where our population is getting bigger and bigger. And while I want many of those like kind of self-sufficient things, like I do think that we, I would like to see more and more people. And I see it in my neighborhood. I'm in the middle of Indianapolis in the city. And if I walk around my neighborhood, there's chicken coops and all like every, you know, 10th house or something, it seems like. And every fifth house has a garden now. And I don't think that was the case in this area 10 years ago when I was growing up, you know, 10 minutes from here. And so there is a movement towards more of that. 
and I think that there is a recognition that the system that we've had that has just loaded people up with debt and that we just live to rent our, our entire lives until we get married at 35 and, and that system, that lifestyle is not what works, but there is the possibility. And I did this, you know, graduating college was able to buy a house. I got married, you know, about a year, you know, a year after year and a half after graduating school, you know, and, and working towards building up property in that, in that way. But I can do that in this system, but you can also, for the people who do want to rent and kind of live a more nomadic lifestyle, I guess, right? Moving from city to city, not putting down roots. I think that there is a necessity for allowing people to do that as well. Uh, you know, this, it seems to me like the distributist kind of precludes the wants of some people who may not want the slower lifestyle, even though I do think it's better. I don't think that we're required to make people want that. I mean, even, you know, 2000 years ago, there still were the city people. There still were the people who were not living in that agrarian lifestyle. And I think you do get a lot of benefit from having both the city and the country in a way. Like there is a lot of great things that come from being able to have 40,000 people working to get a vaccine, <laughs> you know, in several cities across big cities across the country. Like that helped us bring it into a pandemic in a way. So I do think there are good things from that. And concentration of capital can be really good because if we don't have a big concentration of capital, then, you know, you can't have big pharmaceutical things that are solutions for the whole world or some of those things that do take a lot of money, right? But I do agree that getting property in more people's hands is key. And I think that that's actually anyone who's a true capitalist would agree with that because that's going to be what gives people a stake in their society. It's is if I think so much of the problem that we have is it's the people who are renting and leasing or on welfare against the people who actually own their wealth. And that's what it seems to me is pitted against each other in our society. So I do agree that that is a good, and I'm not challenging you because I want to be hostile to your viewpoint. I, I just, I think that, um, I find myself wanting the outcomes of distributism, but I see that you, I, I think that a free market and trying to change people's desires and saying in kind of marketing this lifestyle, like you've kind of been successful at, and I heard a lot of other homesteaders, it seems very attractive to people my age and even a little older than me. So I think there's a want for it. If we can just get people to want it freely and choose that, then I think you can kind of have the best of both worlds in a way. And maybe, maybe that's a pipe dream. I might be wrong, but. Well, again, just, I think there's a bit, I hear like across the streams a little bit in, 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 in listening with the idea of like the agency with which to uh, uh, build the world that we want to, to live in our, in our collective social bonds uh, between one another embodied in the state or taxes or other things, um, you know, uh, uh, how those agencies work on us and what is just in those agencies. And that is, that is a discussion. And then there is the discussion of whatever that agency ends up being, be it a, 
government, be it a, 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 a polis, be it a king, be it a clan father, you know, whatever, whatever the, the agency that orders that society, what policy do they enact, right? So a distributist policy could be uh, a, a, a monarchy could, could uh, uh, use distributist policy orientation with the subjects of the crown as well as uh, a government. And so it's a question of, again, I just, you know, just kind of like drag ourselves away from the question of what the agency is, because that's like a, that involves a whole lot of other questions um, and just concern ourselves with, uh, and I think that confuses people with distributism. And I think it comes from the binary of communism saying we must triumph and des destroy and usurp private property. That's the only way that the you know, just society will emerge. I don't think distributist policy is doing that. I think distributism is a way in which to orient ourselves. It would be to say, that when you walk down the street, you would say uh, a city coding in my city, which allows people to have chicken coops and front yard gardens is good. Yeah. And there's a reason and a word for that, you know, uh, in, in, in a purely uh, capitalist uh, mind frame, what's good is determined by wherever capital condenses the most. And, and then that is good. So, so it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be, um, and then right. I would actually challenge you on that a little bit. I would say that it's where you, a capitalist, I would say would argue that things, activities that are profitable are good. So right. if right. I, but, but if I'm like a small time gardener and I, it's, you know, and I can raise chickens and garden and it's, I do it because it's enjoyable. And I think that there's, even if it's not as profitable as going, you know, working an extra couple of hours and buying my stuff at the grocery store Bingo. It is more self-sufficient and it's a better long-term bet. So I, I do, I do sacrifice profit in that. I, yeah. So right. I, I do think I understand that I'm making a trade-off there, but I also understand that I'm learning a skill that can be profitable in the future as well. And that's fine. My, so, my, but, my, but yeah. Divorce, yeah. Divorce from that is that capitalism would say the maximization of profits is where goodness will arise from because if we condense the most of them, then we can provide the most for everyone. Where what you're saying, and I think it's, I think what you're saying is what I'm saying. I think we're actually saying the same thing. Yeah. You're saying, no, no, there's another set of principles. Uh, yeah. it, it's good for me to be connected and learn a skill and, and, and have the uh, resilience in relationship to my food that I would want a chicken coop that's distributist thinking that's not capitalist thinking um and so and so it's it's the ordering of your proximity to first things and real property and mm -hmm. so and so that um that is different than uh, uh when i keep on saying capital condenses i think a way to uh, uh envision this is that my goal a function within a capitalist society to get the things that i want is mediated through usually a currency Right? So I have a currency of exchange and the more that I collect and condense within myself, the more successful of the capitalist I am and the more good I do for my society. This is the argument of industrialists for the past you know, 200 years. You know, Don't regulate me because I'm feeding the most people, you know? but they're feeding people through a secondary function of condensing capital. And what we've seen over and over again in the history of the world is that when capital is allowed to condense like that, eventually without any type of agency to just disrupt that condensing, very bad things start to happen 
for, for people. And so by what means of evaluation would we uncondense that capital? And so my, it's exactly like you walking around your neighborhood and identifying the front yard gardens are good and chickens are good. Well, that's, that's not the free flowing of capital. That's that I would argue that's you seeing people uh, uh, touching their place, being involved with their place and getting closer to first things. This is distributism. This is what you're seeing is, is a distributist, uh, 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 evaluation of goodness, even if you don't have the, even if we don't have the language for, it, even if the individual doesn't have the language that, oh, this was distributist thinking. But, um, and so, and so that's, you know, that's, you know, I, I think that you know, we're, 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 I think we are just saying the same thing. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I yeah. think we are saying it in a very, sim I think we're saying something very similar. I think that for me, when I think of capitalism, I don't think of it in this sort of excessive way. I think that it, to me, capitalism is free markets and free pe people choosing freely with their whatever they can, whatever information they have at hand to provide the best for themselves and for their families. And I think that distributism can be that. And then capitalism, the way we think of it today is an excess in a way. It, it's sort of, it seems to me like distributism is a free market that is grounded in much more of a good Christian, probably primarily Catholic, actually, social teaching. And capitalism, the way we conceive of it today, is very much a free market that is atheistic in a way. That is, you kind of have this sort of, when, when we secularized, you kind of had, I would say, probably gradations of distributism to capitalism to socialism still, but they were tied through religion and through the society when we secularized, we kind of cut out this middle part because you had the two extremes. I think that that's happened in everything. I think that's why our society is so polarized is when you cut out God, you know, I, I love, I was reading Chesterton's orthodoxy and you just kind of realize it's like Catholicism criticized for being too pacifistic and too warlike because it actually walks the real middle path between the two sort of, sort of extremes. And I think that I, I do think that there is an opportunity right now. And I'm curious to kind of, before we move on to the homesteading side of things, uh, get some idea of what sorts of hopes you see for moving more towards distrib distributism. Because I think that like with remote work and with everything going on there, we could see that happen. I, like there's already stories of Silicon Valley, like tech people leaving, going to Colorado, going to all these places and moving kind of outside of the city and moving where, and like, I've heard stories of those people going out, starting homestead, like going out and having a small plot of land. And because they're, they, I think they, there is that sort of left-leaning people from California who like that nature aspect of it. And I think that there's sort of this right-leaning libertarian conservative side of things. That's like, I like, I would like to have my own land, my own property and not have to, you know, be reliant on others or reliant on the government for things as well. There's kind of the homesteading movement seems to be pulling people towards this distributist outcome. But I do, I would be curious to hear like what sorts of policy prescriptions you would have that would move that way more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think you're getting, you know, to the core of what, what I would say, I um, in, in, uh, in many European markets, um, the way that the, 
condensing agencies of ever larger bureaucracies are preserving rural and, and, and uh, uh, agricultural crafts and small scale markets. Uh, they use a tax device called threshold taxes. And so it would be that uh, any person producing a product up until a certain limit is not taxed or regulated. Therefore, they're allowed to, say I'm allowed to, I don't know, I, I'm not involved in the various industries to know enough, yep. but I know for me as a, as, a, as a cider maker, I would love to be able to produce, you know, a thousand gallons of cider a year without any regulation, right? I'm only yeah. affecting a small group of people. And therefore I can form uh, kind of colloquial associations in, in my, in my, my area and those things, uh, these small kind of crafts that are grounded in place can kind of flourish freely, giving me the means to access the market um, and, and bring my craft to a market. Right now, uh, any producer across any industry, um, usually, in America at least is not is not encountered by a threshold uh, is not encountered with a threshold system but they're encountered with just the baseline the, that many producers have to meet exactly the same regulations that giant enormous uh, industrial producers need to need to meet there's no difference in whether i make a, a thousand kajillion widgets or i make 10 i have to meet the same exact regulations and so that just creates a massively uneven playing field that benefits condensed capital and so what i would want to see is 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 regulations that i don't want to see policy tools that uh that further regulate, but policy tools that 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 loosen, but loosen at the right parts. Um, and so, threshold taxes, I believe, would be one form. Threshold, both taxes and regulations for agricultural products, um, would allow people to build resilient, uh, interdependent networks of exchange within localities, grounding people to place, and then drawing their economic activity closer to first things so that would be something that i would say is a is a um is a uh, would be a distributist oriented policy uh because it it would result in more people having the means of production and access to property by creating small-scale revenue and so you're, you're empowering more people to have access to more means of production and property on um, the second one would be uh uh, programs that uh, cultivate and and keep alive craft skills uh, in a in a purely capitalist society, right? We would just innovation uh, and condensing capital around innovation would create the best benefit of all. So, it, hey, if it doesn't work uh, economically, well, that's an indication that we can get rid of it. Um, mm -hmm. And so. Uh, and so there's no economic motivator in a lot of cases to preserve um, an art like timber framing or an art like uh, other things. It does, they don't become economically yeah. solvable, um, uh, you know, complicated winemaking or cheesemaking or, or other crafts, stone masonry, nice. or, uh, yeah. all of these things. And so uh, in first things are, are not only to be thought of about like uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a purely material way where I need access to like clean water and food and, and, and you know, uh, the, the divine order uh, that, that God intended in providing us this beautiful earth, right? I don't just need access to those material things. In order to know how to use those material things, I also 
need access to traditions and craft traditions and skills. And so distributist policy would be one that cultivates and puts uh, in the same way that we've agreed about to have a highway. I, I agree that cutting hay by hand shouldn't be extinguished from the knowledge, from the living knowledge of our society. There is not an economic benefit for it. That is not why we're doing it. We are doing it so people can remain close to first things that an individual uh, uh, and a community are able to produce for themselves first things from the land and the property around them. And so orienting ourselves thinking like that, kind of you can just, we can just, me and you could probably sit here and come up with like five more of, of, of how do we um, fund and think about policy that, uh, that, that uh, eliminates poverty by bringing people in closer access to first things. Right now, the way we can just look at our current national debate, right? People are eliminating poverty by uh, providing a wage, well, you know, we're, we're going to give you a, a UBI, they call it, we're going to give you a UBI, and that's by, by giving you money, you can go and, uh, but, but that money is a secondary means with which to access those first things. And so making investments uh, in those very, very first things themselves, a well pump on every farm that operates by hand funded by the government, you know, that yeah. would be distributist oriented policy. We can all pump our water now, no matter what happens. The, the grid could shut down. Every, we brought everybody to closer proximity to first things. That would eliminate poverty. Um, and so uh, that this is, uh, these types of thinking, you know, I could just, again, I could just like rattle off a, a mule and a plow for every single person, you know? Um, you know, and, 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 uh, and courses to train people to do that, you know? To, to have ha gardening courses put on ag agents that preserve agricultural and art, art artistic skills um, and craft skills. Um, Seems like removing licensing would be a huge thing as well. I mean, you know, for thing now I'd like my doctor to have maybe some sort of accreditation and my lawyer as well. Um, I'd like some sort of maybe accreditation there, but I don't think I need it for the person that cuts my hair or the waitress, you know, that brings me a beer. I don't think it really takes some crazy licensing to be able to go grab a beer if you're going to bring it to a table at a restaurant. You know, right. I, I think those sorts of things to me seem like a much better way that it seems to me like a lot of the, the complaints against capitalism too are, are, is really a, is not as much of a, is not as much capitalism doing it as, is it, as it is greedy people who are working in a capitalistic system who are trying to shut other people out from being able to compete uh, for the capital. It, it, well, my argument there would be that there's nothing within the capitalist mindset and evaluation of where goodness comes from that precludes greed as being an agency to create common good. You know, um, uh, that by, by, by such, I would, I would say that an industrialist who is greedy and condensing as much capital to provide industry into larger systems, will, will, according to capitalism, will create more and more and more and more for everyone. I mean, we opened uh, 10 minutes ago and we said, yeah. right, more people have more access to more things now than ever before. My evaluation is that that that, that is not, but more people are limited from first things. So that is not going to create a good society. We could feed everybody, but that doesn't mean that we've created a good society. Just, just in terms of, 
you know, if, if we have all the power and wealth condensed into one agent that feeds every single person, you know, and this is the argument of various material, right? That capitalism eventually just, just morphs into one state communism. And we're somewhat living through it right now. Um, and so, and so this argument of how do we make it an evaluation uh, of where goodness comes from that we can base policy on that changes that dynamic and so again there is distributism you know and 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 distribute just as there's like points that when we're talking and distributism is it does essentially come from a catholic understanding of things um you know it comes from catholic social theory pope pius the 13th and his encyclical is where chesterton and belloc and all these uh father McNabb and all these other people but you know it grew from catholic social teaching which one of the aspects of Catholic social teaching is, is that people have a right to uh, take part in the earth that God's provided for us. Mm -hmm. And so we can say, right, we, we, um, we could say that everyone can get their needs met by condensing capital and some industrialist who could feed us all, you know, soy burgers that, you know, they make in some centralized factory. Mm -hmm. um, or we can have uh, an agency and society which makes sure that everybody knows how to grow their own food. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I like the latter better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I know we're kind of coming up on time here, so maybe I'll have to have you back on to talk about the homesteading and we can talk through some of those skills a little bit that, uh, that people do need if we're going to you know, work towards that. But do you want to give a little bit of an update on what you're doing and maybe how people can get, learn more about what you have going on at the farm yeah. and uh, maybe some opportunities for people to support what you're doing at the farm as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so, this conversation is just so broad, but it does, you know, and, and, and there's so much to talk about. We didn't even get into the idea of, you know, technological mediation of, of, of how technology can estrange us from, from first things, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that we, we need these massive technological systems and we have to access them to then render us the first things instead of just, you know, developing technologies amongst ourselves. So, uh, you know, that, that we have access to as individuals where we can um, access first things by, uh, by our own means. Um, mm -hmm. And so, and so that's what I'm doing on my farm is that, is that my farm is a human scale farm. Um, we don't, we don't use tractors. Um, our nutrient cycle with our animals feeds into our orchard and our, and our, you know, orchard feeds back into our animals. And, and so uh, the entire idea of it is, I, do, I don't have like, um, you know, I'm just copying what was done traditionally before industrial patterns developed that created highly technical systems that required a lot of input from the outside. And so we use, uh, you know, our sheep graze our orchard and then fertilize our orchard um, and then fertilize our, our gardens and we grow a lot of our own food and then we, we, you know, slaughter and eat those animals that are managing the grass in our orchard and fertilizing our trees. And so creating a, a small farm system where uh, I, I can take care of it without a lot of input from a, from a lot of uh, massive uh, technological structures of modernity. Um, so I mm -hmm. scythe all the, the hay for the sheep, or at least I try to scythe all the hay for the sheep. Um, 
you know, everything is done at human scale and with, and with human hands. And so that's what we're doing on our farm. We've been at it for about eight years. Um, and, you know, it's not a, uh, something like this is not, we opened before when we were talking, I think before the tape started rolling about, or maybe this was while the tape was rolling, but I, you know, we, I don't like the idea of self-sufficiency yeah. because we all need one another. And so our farm is at a point now where we're, um, you know, we've been doing this for eight years and, and we want to connect with other people who this idea of, of human scale agriculture and a return to agricultural traditions uh, is something that, it, you know, excites them and they, they want to learn more about. And we want to connect with those people and help them achieve those things because we have something to share in that department at this point. We, we've, we've been doing it for a long time and it ties very, you know, our work on our farm, you can see how after our, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes of distributist talk, you can see how Catholic social theory concepts like subsidiarity and distributism and other things, how they work well with the idea of, of uh, a homestead uh, and particularly a human scale homestead. Um, and so, yeah, I'm happy to come back on at some point and talk more in depth and maybe even we do like a daytime thing and I'll walk you around and show you stuff, you know? <laughs> so, so yeah, um, that's, uh, that, that, that sounds great. That'd be great. I'd love to have it. And then for anyone who's looking for you, where, uh, where can they find you? Like Twitter website? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. Michael Thomas of Sharon, um, is one place to find me. You can find me, um, we have a website, uh, Brickhouse, uh, Brickhouse Homestead, I believe, <laughs> .com. Getting better at this. Um, <laughs> uh, where, where you'll be able to connect eventually. That's where we built a small little cabin. And that's uh, in, in that little cabin is where we'll be inviting people for stays. And the idea is to tailor, um, tailor people's stays so they can learn the homesteading skills and the kind of human scale agricultural or traditional skills that they're interested in. Like, do you want to learn how to butcher a sheep? Do you want to learn how to uh, make cider? Do you want to learn how to garden? Do you want to learn how to scythe an orchard? So we put together a kind of plan. Do you want me to look over a plan for your homestead and say, hey, maybe have you thought about doing this? That's the kind of ideas that, well, what the idea is. So tailored retreats around human scale, traditional agricultural skills is, is what the cabin is. The cabin is also going to serve um, as a retreat space for seminarians. Um, and so we'll be doing that as just like a service thing uh, with the cabin as well. So that's awesome. Yeah, that's, those are, those are the two ideas. So if that, if that excites anybody who's listening, you know, uh, find me on Twitter, DM me and we can talk. That's great. Well, Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. It was definitely, you articulated distributism, I think a lot better than I had heard it previously. So I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. I, I, I want to, you know, end maybe with saying that I am not an academic and I just get things from, you know, reading by myself next to my wood stove. And uh, I'm standing on the shoulders of, of people who uh, have thought about these things much more, uh, much more in depth and, 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 and much better than I have. And so I just encourage anybody who's interested in these topics to go read Pius the 13th, go, go, go read Chesterton, go read Belliot, go read Father McNabb. There's lots of distributist thinking out there. Um, some magazines that I would suggest, you know, there's um, what's the front front porch Republic has a great page on distributism, especially as an American perspective. I've learned quite a bit from, from those writers. So there's, there's academics and historians who are much, much more uh, versed in this stuff. And I am, I'm just a 
you know, clumsy farmer, but I, <laughs> I think I get it enough to like it. <laughs> yep. Totally. Well, it's awesome. I know all those links will be in the show notes. So definitely check those out. And thanks for coming on today, Michael. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. God bless. God bless. I don't know about you, but I really enjoyed that discussion. I learned a lot personally, and I hope you did as well. And hopefully it gave you something more to think about as a possible and legitimate third option that I think is much more viable than I thought before going into this conversation. And also much more distinguished from a free market that just is agrarian as well, with a focus on, I guess, the common good and what the good is. I think that that was a, an important distinction of what each system and socioeconomic system that you have there between capitalism, socialism, and distributism, each of them hold something different as the good. And that's one of my main takeaways and that's something that I'm going to have to wrestle with a little bit and try to understand where I fall on this question because I think it's definitely something I have to take seriously. So check out some of those authors that he mentioned. I know he mentioned Belloc and Chesterton and he mentioned a couple others. So I'm going to be going back and listening to this as well, but definitely check that out. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast or on YouTube or both and leave good rating and review reply and like or comment rather and like on YouTube, follow me on Twitter at con of our gen and head over to conversationforgeneration.com slash subscribe to get subscribed for just $5 a month to get premium access to my classes, a copy of my book, access to the discord community. And also if you just want to keep up with updates on the conversation, some of my top, you know, weekly discussions, get that in your inbox each week, lots of good stuff happening there and a monthly newsletter as well. So it's just like five emails a month, maybe an announcement here and there trickled in. So it's not going to overwhelm you. Just go to conversationforgeneration.com slash newsletter. Go there and you can get access to that. But with that, thank you for listening to this episode of The Conversation of Our Generation. Let's get the dialogue going. Talk to you next time.